Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Obviously, around here, we love college football, Georgia football in particular, and we love during the season the week-to-week stories of how a team evolves and kind of new challenges it faces based on the opponent that it's playing. But that said, let's just be honest here for a moment. You know, the season can be a little bit of a grind there as well because all of us, even someone like me who works professionally in the realm of college football here, we also have things going on in our lives away from that too. And so you have a late game on a Saturday night and you get right back to it the next Monday. And, you know, there is a degree to which, hey, long season can kind of feel like a little bit of a grind after a while. You'll get a little bit tired, whatever else. And so sometimes from time to time, you just sort of need a little fresh dose of energy to kind of get you excited all over again. And this week, uh, we are very thankful to get get some of that from the Auburn Tigers and their coach, specifically Hugh Freeze. Now, I got to tell you something. I am blown away by what happened yesterday for Auburn because the whole point of hiring a coach with an SEC pedigree is you don't have to bring this guy up to speed about what matters in the SEC. Like Brian Harson, a couple thousand miles away from SEC country, coaching in Boise, Idaho. Total disaster as the Auburn coach the last couple of years because he was not a cultural fit. He did not understand the SEC culture. It all basically had to be explained to him. And you just don't have enough time to get a guy like that up to speed. Well, that's why you go out and bring a guy like Hugh Freeze, even though Freeze has had some personal embarrassments and some professional setbacks and things like that. At the very least, he knows the lay of the land here in the SEC. But my gosh, yesterday, and and, and I would say that generally speaking, I'm a little bit more pro Hugh Freeze than not. I think he is a good coach. I think eventually he's going to probably have Auburn playing a pretty competent brand of football I'll take the future of Hugh Freeze over the likes of Billy Napier Josh Heupel there are a lot of coaches who I think the Freeze is superior to so I think that Auburn made a better hire than frankly probably some Auburn fans you know think they made overall so I'm not anti-Hugh Freeze but my gosh I've never heard a, a, a coach have like a worse press conference the week before a big rivalry game than Freeze did yesterday he kept saying one like weird thing after another he thought he was a politician for a second based on all the strange things that he was saying in these press conferences it was it was, it was quite bizarre starting with this like the easiest thing in the world to do is just set the stage for a big rivalry game because the whole point of college football sometimes is, hey, when it comes to a game like this, you don't have to say much to get your troops charged up. Everybody knows what's at stake here this week. It's the Deep South's oldest rivalry against Auburn. It ought to be that easy to set the stage for this game on Saturday. But yesterday, Hugh Freeze made it way more difficult than it needs to be. This is hilarious if you're a Georgia fan, very strange if you're an Auburn fan. In fact, we've already seen plenty of social media reaction to this of Auburn fans being like, what is he even talking about? This is Freeze yesterday trying while also failing to discuss the Georgia-Auburn rivalry. UGA fans get a laugh out of this. I mean, I don't want to quote something that's inaccurate, but it's the oldest rivalry in the South for sure. I I don't know about nationally, but... Um, it's, 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 am I, am I saying that correctly? Um, so, um, I, I don't sense that it has, uh, um, I better not, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I'm new here, but I, I don't sense the hatred that is in some other rivalries that I've been a part of, but nonetheless, I think it's, uh, I think it's intense. 
Okay, well, I'll find out. Um, you know, I, I'm not big on hate. I, I'm really not. I'm, 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 I'm big on just, man, that this means something to so many people, so we should compete in a way out of love for our people, not necessarily for hate for other people. That's kind of the way I, I operate. But, man, I, I, I hope we compete because we love Auburn, and it means something to the Auburn people to compete against Georgia. So um, that, that'll, that'll be my approach. And um, But nonetheless, that – Love is a great motivator for me. So in a roundabout way, I sort of understand what he's talking about there at the end. We say this before and have said it before. You know, I'll all the time say, hey, listen, I hate Auburn. As a Georgia fan, we believe a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. We hate Florida. But hating a team in a sporting sense doesn't mean hating people. And there's probably too much hate in the world as it is. I think most of us have an idea of, you know, while we love on message boards or social media going back and forth with fan bases and ripping into them and them ripping back into us, I would say 99.9% of that's pretty good natured for the most part. People always give me grief about stuff that I've said or or when Georgia loses, when Georgia loses a recruiting battle, you know, when some of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, kind of pops up, people are, you know, going to jump in here and they're going to say whatever to me. But 99% of the time, it's all just good natured. It's kind of the rivalry thing. It is fun to be very competitive about this kind of stuff. It's fun to argue about it. It's fun to take shots at, at rivals. And it doesn't have to be all that serious, right? You don't have to take it super serious. Now, you, ha- you enjoy immersing yourself in it but the idea that you take it to the point where you actually hate a person because the team they root for you know that's probably a pretty bad idea and I think that Hugh Freeze is not wrong when he says that but it's just the wrong context to be saying this here right now because this is the Georgia Auburn rivalry and you heard Freeze had to be corrected kind of off the mic of actually coach they do hate Georgia and he's like oh okay well I guess I'm about to find out yeah you are you're about to find out in a very big way just how much this Auburn-Georgia rivalry from the Auburn side of things means to those Auburn fans uh, from the standpoint of they hadn't darn near won this thing in two decades, it doesn't feel like. And so, therefore, you better believe that part of the reason you're here is because the last two coaches that were here couldn't compete with Georgia at all. If, 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 if Auburn fans didn't care about Georgia, Hugh Freeze would still be up in Lynchburg, Virginia, coaching at Liberty. <laughs> the, the, the only reason why there's even an opening position there at Auburn is because the uh, previous coaches were not winning the rivalry games nearly enough. And in Gus Malzahn's case, it's kind of solely the Georgia game because he was winning the Alabama game actually uh, fairly frequently. So for Freeze, who's like, what's it called? Is it the South's oldest rivalry? Is it the whatever, whatever, whatever? This just comes across as a guy who surely he doesn't know this little about this rivalry. And it's almost like surely he's not this inept at kind of just sort of stating in simple terms what the stakes are in this game because on the other side of this throughout the years now Kirby Smart didn't say this yesterday but throughout the years Kirby Smart's had no issue whatsoever kind of pointing out there are some games that to the fans matter a little bit more than others in fact I want to go back to 2021 as a for instance of this just matter of fact laying it on the line hey when you play Auburn there's a little something extra at stake Kirby Smart knows full well how to say that says it very clearly this is what Smart said a couple of years ago it's a rivalry game I mean it's you know so many of our kids recruited by them and so many of vice versa it's just it's always a rivalry game and I think that a big part of that is is being at your best when your best is needed and that's the challenge for our guys I mean that is that simple right it's a rivalry game Georgia's got a lot of rivalry games but we want to be at our best when our best is needed that's as simple as it needs to be Hugh Freeze obviously failed to do that now I believe there's a reason why I think the reason matters if you're a Georgia fan here 
there is a weird thing about when your rival is as good as Georgia is, when your rival is as good as Kirby Smart's made them, all of a sudden you don't want to be rivals anymore. Like, did you do this when you were a kid? It's like, you know, you're playing like touch football in the backyard or you're playing, you know, whatever. And then when things start going your way, all of a sudden I don't want to play anymore. Like Auburn is essentially now saying when it comes to rivalry with Georgia, we actually don't necessarily want to play anymore. At least Hugh Freeze is saying, hey, as the Auburn coach, I know from Pat Dye and Shug Jordan and Terry Bowden and however many coaches that Auburn's had over the years, they've all kind of measured themselves against George and the Deep South's oldest rivalry. But if it's okay with y'all, I don't quite want to be measured by Georgia right now because Georgia won the last two national championships. They've also won this thing, you know, how many times in the last 18 meetings or whatever it is. I'm not quite so sure I want to be measured by Georgia right now. So I'm going to try to take a little bit of an attempt to downplay this rivalry. Like in, in a weird way, as Georgia becomes more and more of like the gold standard, the truly elite program in college football, the Georgia rivalry suffer by comparison. They all seem to mean a little less than they used to because all of a sudden the rivals are like let's don't quite measure ourselves by Georgia let's measure ourselves by the other games that we play and I think that you perhaps have seen some of this already and I believe you'll see more of it in future years where coaches like Freeze almost like a business decision of hey when I talk about with words what matters on the field I'm going to downplay the things that probably don't lead to the most favorable comparison for me so therefore Georgia, it's a rivalry, but what really matters is both teams have fun. We just all want to love each other. You know, we're just here to have a good time. You know, <laughs> that is an attempt, albeit not a very effective one, but an attempt to sort of downplay expectations in a game like this, you would think. And it seems like Freeze did himself no favors in terms of truly winning over his fan base with that yesterday. But believe it or not, that was not the worst thing that Freeze said yesterday. Now, there's a weird thing about me. The thing that I probably find the funniest in life is when, when somebody has a very high level of confidence and a very low level of competence, right? When someone's very, very confident while being very incompetent, I find that to be very, very funny. You know, low information, high competence is just a really, really funny thing for me yesterday. Now, I want you to listen here for a moment. Hugh Freeze kind of trying to talk to Auburn fans about not having too many expectations, perhaps about this game, perhaps about his first season, whatever else, not having too many expectations. He cites Kirby Smart as an example. Now, I want you to listen to how wildly confident Hugh Freeze is while also being very poorly informed and having to once again be corrected off the mic now here's my rule if you in a press conference have to be corrected more than once off the mic <laughs> that means that things have gone horribly horribly wrong for you very funny for Hugh Freeze being shocked to discover just how successful Kirby Smart was very quickly into his tenure as UGA coach this is hilarious uh, take a listen to Hugh Freeze once again from yesterday I don't know how long it took him. I don't know what it take him three years or so to to get there or four years. I, I don't know. Some of y'all could to do the research, but his second year, that's I don't know that that's accurate, but um, uh, anyway, so um, he did it pretty fast then. That's that's pretty impressive. It's even more impressive. So what he's talking about there is the idea that it, success takes time. I and mean, how many years did it take Kirby Smart? Two, Coach. Oh, well, and my favorite part about this is his thing of, 
I don't know that that's accurate. <laughs> you know, first of all, he's like, yeah, if y'all want to do the research as if it required carbon dating to discover, you know, what happened in college football just a small handful of years ago. If y'all want to do the research, like if y'all want to dig through some papyruses or papyri, if y'all want to dig through some of that and figure out what happened back in 2017, yeah, coach, quick Google search lets us know that he actually played for a national championship in 2017. And Hugh Freeze's deadpan response back is, I don't know if that's right. I, I'm not quite so sure you've got all your information, Greg. And that almost kind of reminds me a little bit of like a, a, a Will Ferrell type character or something like that. Somebody very high on confidence, very low on information. In fact, take a listen. Uh, here's very quick Ron Burgundy from the movie Anchorman. See if you detect a little bit of a Hugh Freeze level of low on information, high on confidence, much the same way that like Ron Burgundy was with Veronica Corningstone in their famous day. Take a listen to this real quick. I'll be honest, I don't think anyone knows what it means anymore. Scholars maintain that the translation was lost hundreds of years ago. It, doesn't it mean Saint Diego? No. No. No, that's, that's what it means. <laughs> really. Well, agree to disagree. I'll probably get dinged by YouTube for playing that. But nonetheless, I sort of feel like I see some similarities there. Uh, Hugh Freeze is like, I don't know if anybody knows what Kirby Smart did way back in the second year. That's a little bit like Ron Burgundy saying, I'm not quite so sure anybody knows uh, what San Diego means. I sort of feel like you get some similarities there. Either way, it was not a good press conference for Hugh Freeze yesterday. His first foray into the Deep South's oldest rivalry as Auburn coach, it did not go very well. And now Georgia's job is to make sure it goes even worse on the field this Saturday. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, across all video platforms, Radio Athens, Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, podcast, throughout all the podcast platforms there as well. Just really, really happy to have you with us as a part of our show and uh, just really thankful to have our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia bringing it all to you. Foundation, waterproofing issues. Listen, uh, if you have one of those uh, things going on at your home, you may be fumbling and stumbling around just as much as Hugh Freeze is, trying to find the right words to say, because let's face it, that's a pretty anxiety-producing thing. If you walk down to your basement, you see residue, evidence that water has intruded into your home, the same way that Georgia's going to be invading the plains on Saturday. If you see that water creeping in, you know, hey, got to do something about this damp spots in your basement your cross space standing water sometimes that kind of stuff that gets through there uh that is a signal it's time to reach out to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia and not only that uh how about those cracks sometimes you see them in the walls whether it be the horizontal cracks of your sheetrock on the outside of your house you see those kind of like stair step cracks in the brick once again that's a sign that perhaps you got a foundation issue going on and when you see that kind of stuff around your house i don't want you to like ignore it i want you to remember what i'm telling you right now that you can get the peace of mind you need about the things that you're seeing with a quick phone call to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And the cool thing about Engineered Solutions of Georgia, not only are they well-equipped to handle your problems as it relates to foundation waterproofing stuff, they've got an entire team of engineers on staff, by the way. Nobody in our marketplace has that level of resource dedicated and devoted to your problems. But in addition to that, they're also proud partners of UGA there as well. So when you do business with Engineered Solutions of Georgia, you're doing business with someone who supports the dogs, which is a really good thing. They are also longtime loyal friends of ours here 
on Dog Nation Daily. I'm incredibly grateful for that. Uh, love their support of us. And so I can very heartily and very sincerely tell you that if you're facing a foundation issue or a waterproofing issue, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia can cover you on all of that. So give them a call. 678-ESOG now. 678-ESOG now. And take advantage of a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials, installation, and design. Good folks doing good work for you. Give them a call. 678-ESOG now. Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Uh, proud partners of UGA and great to have them as a part of Dog Nation Daily with us here today. We're going to talk to Connor Riley here coming up in a moment. We're going to get more in depth on the Georgia-Auburn game set to take place there on Saturday. We're also going to talk uh, um, for now around the doghouse with the Georgia side of this too. Yana, yesterday on the show, we spent a pretty good time talking about the Georgia defense and kind of where things stand with that right now and kind of the realization here for the moment, and this doesn't have to be a bad thing, uh, you know, the season itself lends room for a work in progress. Georgia perhaps right now is a work in progress. The level of dominance that we're used to seeing from Georgia through four games, I think you'd have to say, that same level of dominance possibly not here right now. Now, I don't know that I've seen a team thus far this year that I would say is obviously better than UGA. We haven't changed our overall opinion that Georgia will go for three and 23 when the national championship began. That's still the opinion we have about this team. But the way that through even a couple of weeks of last season, blowout went against Oregon, blowout went against South Carolina, you were left to conclude there was no one playing at the level that Georgia is right now. We haven't quite seen that level of dominance enough yet to say, boom, that that settles it, that that ends it. There is no one right now competing on the same plane as UGA. We're stopping short of saying that right now. This season's going to be a journey. There are going to be challenges. Winning a third straight national championship was never going to be easy. And Georgia's preparing itself right now to face all the challenges that come. We talked on the defensive side about that yesterday. We will look at the offensive side here right now. And the most interesting thing about Georgia on that side of the ball, I would believe, in addition to guys that you're hoping to get back healthy, is the fact that Carson Bagg gets ready to step into enemy territory for the first time on Saturday. And this is one of those things that, you know, at the beginning of the calendar year, we have a tendency to kind of look far ahead into the fall and what's going to happen. And y'all, we have been talking about this on the show for months. We we're doing this in February. We did this in the spring. We did this in the summer. You know, that idea that you could circle September 30th as a date in which we would learn a pretty good bit about Georgia. Because as much as we laugh at Hugh Freeze, the truth is, is that Auburn's not necessarily going to be an easy out on Saturday. Georgia's about a, what, 16 half, 17 point favorite here. Uh, but but one, nonetheless, this is the kind of tough matchup that tough mindedness is going to be required for and so even if Auburn lost last week to Texas A&M and even if this is not a team that's right now kind of on the top 25 radar or anything like that this is still a pretty tough matchup for Georgia and as we've been now saying for months it's the first really big true proving ground for Georgia quarterback Carson Beck now the good news is is it seems like Beck was more comfortable last week than he has been at any point in time this season but is he ready for what comes next? Now, I thought it was very interesting yesterday that when Georgia coach Kirby Smart was asked that question, Smart gave pretty direct and I would say very candid answer that we kind of would all agree with here right now, that we're about to find out as of right now, we don't quite know yet how Carson Beck is going to respond to all of this. This is what Kirby Smart said yesterday. You know, I, I think that's something that we're going to find out. I don't think you you, you know. I think he's been through uh, some ups and downs. Uh, he's certainly been against good defenses uh, like Auburn has. He goes against our guys. So it's different when it's live. So you got to find out um, how he responds to that. And uh, I'm 
very confident in Carson's ability uh, to communicate, um, to understand things. He's uh, he's been in our system. You know, you only get good at these these situational football things by playing football for a long time, and he's he's been with us for a while uh, doing it. It's his first chance to do it, you know, on the road. I think that's just real. I think it's honest. I think it's genuine. And I think it has room for some optimism and some true, honest hopefulness that that Beck is ready to thrive here in this environment, but also the realization that, hey, until he goes through it, uh, we don't really know. And whatever his second and third road star are going to be, they are probably more likely to just produce you know, huge success than perhaps what this first one's going to produce. But Beck can show us all a lot about exactly who he is as a football player, exactly who he is you know, at this stage of his development as a quarterback based on how he plays you know, at Auburn on Saturday. And this is one of those deals where you know, I'm not like some sort of like road scholar, some sort of Mensa type guy. I really try to keep things as simple as I can when possible. And you know, to me, there's some just some real simplicity here in terms of how you evaluate Georgia here in this spot here right now. I mean, if you look at Georgia through four games here, you, know, you got 48 points scored against Tennessee Martin. You got 45 points scored against Ball State. You got 49 points scored against UAB against the non-SEC competition that Georgia's played there have been no issues in scoring points especially this past Saturday Georgia was six for six in trips to the red zone in terms of punching tickets for touchdowns there in that spot but we obviously all also know that just 24 points scored against South Carolina this was the thing that Todd Munkin made the hallmark of his time here as the UJ offensive coordinator 28 games against SEC competition he averaged 37 points per game against those SEC foes so to me if you want to evaluate Beck on Saturday, if you want to evaluate where the Georgia offense is overall, let's evaluate it based on the amount of points is able to score against, as Kirby Smart said, a probably slightly better than you realize Auburn defense. They brought in some transfer guys. Their overall stat line isn't amazing, but it's, it's not terrible either. This is not a bad Auburn defense here. You know, Can Georgia kind of get back into the 30s from a point standpoint against a team like this in the SEC on the road? That, to me, is how you judge it. That, to me, is how you evaluate what Carson Beck truly does in his road start. Uh, we know this is a test that George has been preparing for, that Beck himself has been preparing for, and on Saturday we'll be able to see, does he pass it with flying colors? And that is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia here today. Now, there's a lot else going on as George gets ready for Auburn on Saturday, so let's get ready to talk about that and so much more with Connor Riley. Glad to have him and all of you with us here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let me bring in Connor Riley. We'll just keep the same conversation going. Connor, I was just talking about uh, Carson Beck, first road start. But the Georgia offense overall, we have certainly seen this team has proven itself capable of scoring big point totals against the kind of group of five or FCS competition that it's played uh, big day offensively on Saturday against UAB and that's not meaningless to me there is some 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 meaning and some value that I do take from that I thought that Georgia overall looked more comfortable offensively that perhaps it has all year long and to do that without you know a healthy collection of running backs and some you know fully healthy offensive line I think that says something pretty good about UGA 
But Georgia also did not score enough points in my mind against South Carolina a couple of weeks you know, prior to that. And in terms of where this offense is, what it does against its Power 5 opponents, its SEC opponents in particular, that's really how Georgia has separated itself from most of the rest of the country the last couple of years. Do you think that Georgia is ready on Saturday to come out and put a point total together that's a little bit more in line with what it's done against SEC teams these last two national championship seasons? Yeah, and you know, not to answer your question with a question, but what do you think is the number that Georgia would be satisfactory for Georgia to score in this game? I'd like to start with a three. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think 35, 34 yeah. um, is probably the range that I'm thinking. I'm, I'm with you in that you know, Auburn is a capable defense. I don't know how you know elite or high-end they are, but they do have some playmakers who have done some nice things so far. And I, I do probably think that of the teams that Auburn has played, Georgia, in theory, should have the best offense uh, that Auburn will have seen. And so I, I think it will be interesting, specifically with regards to Carson Beck, you know, I think he took steps forward on, on Saturday against UAB, and yeah, the opponent's not great, but you know, they did go out and score 21 points in the second half of that game against South Carolina. They had a missed field goal there and a holding penalty in the red zone that probably would have made it, you know, either 24 or 28. So really, we're talking about one, you know, unsatisfactory half. Now, scoring three points in any half uh, when you're averaging 40 points per game, like Georgia traditionally has the last couple of seasons. Uh, it is reason for concern there. And so I, I think, you know, we'll see how healthy this Georgia unit is. But with what we've seen from, from Carson, as I think he's continued to get more comfortable, and I, I think you'd even probably admit, better with each start. Um, I, I think this Saturday it's going to be a test to just sort of see, you know, how he handles his first road start, given, you know, I would say the game against UT Martin didn't exactly go great at the start for him. And so it's a new experience, and how he handles this, I do think is going to be particularly telling in terms of where this Georgia offense is going. Is it something that, you know, sort of linearly, linearly keeps getting better and keeps improving week to week? Or is it going to be, you know, sort of a roller coaster where you have your ups and your downs from a week to week basis as Carson Beck sort of grows and experiences things differently there? Yeah, I mean, look, the one thing that really stood out to me about Beck going to the spring was – is I just thought he seemed really mature. And, you know, that's possibly a, you know, it's a tough evaluation to evaluate somebody that you're not spending a lot of personal time with. I'm judging some of this by, you know, just kind of what I see from afar, of course. But to me, the thing that kind of won me over as, you know, when I think Carson Beck's going to be the starting quarterback for this team was I thought he showed an overall level of poise and maturity throughout the spring. Not an easy situation because there's a lot to be gained if you can be the Georgia starting quarterback. It'd be very easy to want to push a little too hard, to be a little too tense in a situation like that. But Beck clearly wasn't. And he allowed, you know, the the experience that he had to be demonstrated, I think, through what he did during spring practice. And so I think the assumption I have right now is he is as ready for this as you could possibly be. But do I think he'll play better at Tennessee than I think he'll play at Auburn? I, I think I probably do, because anything when you're doing it for like the second or third time is way easier than doing it for the first time. So my assumption is, is that Beck is as ready for this moment as any first time road SEC starting quarterback could be. But if you're going to do like a, a daily fantasy game type thing, my guess is, is that Beck probably has bigger numbers in a road game later on this year than he probably does for his very first, because that's still a pretty big door to walk through for the very first time. Right. And to that point, you know, yes, Carson's been here for four years. He's been in this program before. It's still only his fifth career start. And so, you know, as great as Stetson Bennett was last year, 
His fifth career start didn't go all that great. I believe that was against either Kentucky or Florida back in 2020, and you saw the struggles that Stetson had those days. And yes, he got hurt against Florida there and that bears mentioning, but the quarterback we saw Stetson Bennett be in 2020 was wildly different than who Stetson Bennett was in 2022. And, and so I think it's important to keep that in mind with Carson Beck. There's a reason why NFL teams, when they were drafting quarterbacks, for so long looked at experience as sort of a measure or something that would be considered a positive when it comes to selecting guys in the first round. There's a reason why I think there's only been like five uh, quarterbacks who have less than 16 career starts taken in the first round. It's because with experience, you just see more things, you know more things, you know more about yourself uh, and some of the issues you're able to correct. Uh, Like, for example, with, with Carson right now, one of the things, when he feels pressure, and you know teams will do this, South Carolina has been aggressive, UAB to an extent was aggressive, I think uh, Auburn on Saturday is going to follow suit. When he feels pressure early in the game, he sort of starts to drift back a little bit and drift away from his throws and has not yet really shown a consistency to you know when he gets pressured or feels pressure over the course of a game, a willingness to necessarily step up and make throws in the pocket that way. And so that's something that just, you know, as he gets more and more comfortable with playing and seeing pressure and getting hit, that's something that you would expect or at least hope to get it, for him to get better at, to get more comfortable with, and to really settle in in that way. So, you no, know, he's only really thrown, I think, 120-ish passes on the season so far. And these next, I would say, 30, 40 that we're going to see against Auburn on Saturday, I think are really important for him just in terms of going out and doing it on the road for the first time and and setting a baseline of, okay, you know, in theory, this is as worse as he's going to be from a nerve standpoint, from a first-time standpoint, as you point out. You do this a second time, uh, you do this a third time, you do get, you would think, at least somewhat more comfortable with it. Let me bring you in on a conversation we've been having now for the last you know day and a half or so here. Georgia is still my pick to win the national championship. I haven't seen anybody else that would nudge me off of my you know selection of Georgia here right now. So go for three and 23 is still very much intact, I, I believe. But you know, we are changing our evaluation of Georgia here a little bit. Um, this is not a dominant team here right now. I expected Georgia to perhaps throttle everybody that played this year. I really thought there was a chance the 2023 team might be better than it was in 2022. And maybe before it's all said and done, maybe it still will be. Who knows? But right now, you know, this is not a team that's just, you know, you know, scaring people to the point they quit the sport the way you know it typically has defensively or because of the injuries perhaps they're not quite you know asserting their will through the running game the way we're used to seeing you know Georgia perhaps do and so this is another thing about going on the road on Saturday for the first time is is that that Georgia is perhaps still the best team in the country so therefore obviously the best team in this game but it's not the just sort of big bully dominance that guarantees that Auburn will wilt because of the just the sheer force of Georgia's will here this is a non-dominant team playing on the road on Saturday which is you know I think reason for 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 curiosity here what do you make about the fact that Georgia may still be excellent it may prove itself to be the best but if we measure this by like a 2022 level of dominance that's not quite what Georgia is here at the moment I am of the opinion that this team was always playing the long game, and I haven't seen anything in the first three or four weeks now to, to dissuade me from that fact. Uh, you know, again, college football, it's such a small sample size sport where, you know, again, Georgia's already 33% or 25% of the way done through the season, 33% done with the season, excuse me. And, and so it's one of those things where, you know, you do lean on, you know, past 
past success as a way of it more. And again, when you've won 21 straight games, when you are in the process of trying to play for your third straight national championship, uh, that's such a grind in winning that many games in a row and just playing those extra games. For me, the, the barometer was always going to be November in terms of you know when does this team come together. Now, you know they could certainly lose a game in September or October, and, and that sort of changes your line of thinking. But where is this team over the month of November? You know, think of it like a race. Uh, you know, you want to you know try and peak towards the end. And that's something George has talked about before. And so I may be perhaps more forgiving than I should be, uh, you know, with how they looked in this first month. For me, really, it's, you know, are you doing things on a, you know, maybe not every single week, but are you showing flashes where you can get better and you have areas where, and stretches, maybe not for entire games, but stretches within games, where you do show that, that A monster. And, you know, I think we saw that in South Carolina. The other thing, too, Georgia's schedule has been so poor that, you know, with the exception of South Carolina, granted a game they were a three-touchdown favorite, um, you know, like it, I understand that it's hard to get up for a game against UAB. I understand that it is hard to get up for a game uh, against Ball State. Uh, you know, it's and we've talked about this before, it's impossible to play 12 straight A games. Like, yeah. you're just, you're going to have some efforts out there where, where it's not the best, and well, like the reason the Tennessee game a year ago stands out so much was because Georgia was fully locked in and ready to go there, and you saw it early and often in that game. You can't replicate the type of energy that came from that performance every single week. And, and so, you know, yes, I understand why that can be frustrating to some people out there, but show me the team that has played four straight dominant games. Maybe you can say Penn State there. Cool, they just played an Iowa team that can't, can't score 14 points uh, on an empty field. Washington, you know, yes, they've beaten some quality teams, but I don't know how great that schedule actually is when, when, you, know, when you start really yeah. looking at it. And, and so, yes, those teams have impressed, and you, I think can give them credit there. But Georgia, because of the fact that they've won two straight national titles and are playing for a third one, and even though we're not necessarily talking about that right now, they're playing a different game than every other team in the country because while, yes, they're trying to win this specific national championship, the baggage that comes with winning the last two and going for a historic repeat, even if they're not saying it and even if they're not acknowledging it, it does weigh on this team. No, I think that's exactly right. And I want to defend Georgia fans here for a moment, and then after this I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. But I think coming into all of this this year, we had the anticipation that the month of September was going to be – you know kind of not quite so fun and for me specifically what I mean by that is anytime you're evaluating a team by something in addition to just winning the game there is always going to be fertile soil for disappointment on that it's like yeah you beat UAB but did you score 100 points or yeah you beat Ball State but you let them score or you know whatever else it's like anytime you're playing one of these games in which the opponent does not belong in the same field as you we have a tendency to want to set the level of expectations so high that it really can't be reached. But now moving forward, even though Georgia's still on paper a lot better than teams is about to play, Auburn is the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Jordan-Hare Stadium is one of the toughest places to play. This is a game on Saturday that, in a roundabout way, just winning's kind of enough. And, you know, you look ahead of the future. We're going to talk about this in a moment, uh, Connor, uh, once we uh, move on to our SEC through. Georgia's got four ranked opponents on its schedule right now. You know, you look at Missouri better than perhaps expectations Kentucky right now is at least undefeated you know Florida's in the rankings as silly as that sounds here at the moment Tennessee's still ranked that that some of these games in the future will also be games in which 
you know, just winning them will kind of be enough. I'm actually really excited about the next phase, the Georgia schedule, because all of a sudden now you don't have to go to the judges' scorecard to judge how pretty Georgia was. There is a stretch of games coming up where, in a roundabout way, just winning them and moving on, I think for a little while here, that ought to be enough. Uh, first of all, are we allowed to call this the, the Deep South oldest rivalry as, as you freeze is trying to, I guess, legislate that out there? Oh, we're going to get there in a minute. Uh, and, and, I, we're getting and, there and in a minute. It's not a rivalry. Yeah, we're going to get there uh, in a minute. Uh, you know, thinking back, 2019, uh, you know, we talked a lot about that game. You and I were on the sidelines of that game. That is the wildest atmosphere that I have ever been in in terms of, you know, feeling the crowd and the impact it had there that day. And that was a game beforehand you had said, style points don't matter here, just win. With this Auburn game on Saturday, is that sort of still the case going on the road? It's the first road game of the year. Auburn looked really bad last week against A&M, in my opinion. And quite frankly, they looked pretty bad against Cal, too. Now they were able to win that game. But, you know, is this an Auburn game where, you know, you mentioned style points and the want to see that. Is this a game where, you know, let's say Georgia 35-14 or something along the lines of that, is that good enough, or do you want to see sort of a dominant showing, you know, and a chance to really go out there and make a statement like we have seen Georgia do in the past? It would be more eye-opening for me if Georgia played less than its standard on defense than less than its standard on offense. If Georgia scores a small number of points, I'm relatively willing to forgive that because it is Carson Beck's first start, and Georgia really is, I think, pretty shorthanded with its overall running game. Uh, I know a lot of people will kind of lose their mind if you know if it's not a good day for the Georgia offense. I'm a little bit more forgiving, probably, of that. The thing that would really concern me is, you know, I watched all of the Auburn Cal game. I was listening on the radio, frankly, most of the uh, the Auburn Texas A&M game because I was driving to Athens during that time. But um, this is an Auburn team against Power 5 competition that's having a hard time churning out any yards whatsoever. So if Georgia doesn't have like a great day defensively against Auburn, that would be a little eye-opening for me. But for the most part, because of the environment, because of the nature of this season, I'm not going to do a whole lot of beauty contest you know, judgments on Georgia on Saturday. For the most part, just a win's enough. I expect Georgia to play well defensively, but for the most part for me on Saturday, just a win would be enough. I agree with you on the defensive point there. If I'm being honest, Auburn shouldn't score on Saturday uh, with what we've seen from their offense and what we know this Georgia defense is capable of. Now, they might generate a turnover and give them a short field. I get that. Uh, You know, if it's 24 nothing, and that's the final score, 24-3, uh, to me that's satisfactory. Again, it's not oh, exceeding yeah. expectations. It's not an A, but you get out of there with that 28 nothing, 31-3, something along the lines of that. That's sort of doing what it needs to do and going on the win in an SEC environment. And covering the spread, something they haven't done this season so far, as I'm sure you'll love to bring up uh, when we do go with the flow again. <laughs> Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think defensively the big thing for this weekend is you want to see Georgia have a dominant – I think Georgia needs to have a dominant game there more so than it necessarily needs to have, uh, you know, a 2022 Oregon, a 2022 South Carolina showing on that side of the ball. No, I think that's right. Speaking of Hugh Freeze and the stuff from yesterday, Connor, I believe I probably like Hugh Freeze as a coach maybe better than you do. I Generally speaking, I'm a fan of him on the field. Obviously, he's got some really tough issues off the field, but in terms of what he brings on the field, I think his resume speaks for itself. But as I said before you joined us, the whole reason you hire a coach like Freeze is that so you don't have to get him up to speed on the the climate here in the SEC. He's supposed to already know this stuff. 
I thought his press conference, hilariously so, by the way, but I thought his press conference yesterday was a total debacle, a disaster of not knowing you know, Kirby Smart's resume, not really knowing how to speak about the Georgia-Auburn rivalry. Uh, this was a real unforced error on the part of Freeze yesterday, and I know a lot of Auburn fans were not happy about this at all this is not just Georgia fans laughing here a lot of Auburn fans were not happy about this and I don't know if this is downplaying the rivalry because of how dominant Georgia is and how dominant specifically Georgia's been against Auburn if this is just freeze not really knowing how to speak about this kind of stuff but in a kind of funny fashion this was not a good day at all for freeze yesterday yeah first of all the idea that Hugh Freeze doesn't want to you know have hate and put hate out there and is a person of love the Ole Miss-Mississippi State rivalry in part became the most spiteful rivalry in college football because of Hugh Freeze's actions. So that just runs counter already to what he is saying and what he is putting out there. Two, you know, and look, the Auburn-Georgia rivalry has lost some of its luster, in my opinion, in part because Auburn has not won as often in recent years as you know it did certainly when I was growing up. Uh, you know, The only time they seem to win this game anymore is when they score 40 points in a game. And they're certainly not going to do that on Saturday. And so, you know, I think with Freeze, again, you know, I'll say they probably didn't deserve to win at Cal. Cal missed about three, four field goals in that game and really made, it really shot itself in the foot. And then that final score on Saturday against A&M, I was able to watch most of that game. I had that in a Clemson game uh, going at the same time. That final score says 27 to 10. It was a lot worse than that. Uh, you could have, you, you know, put Auburn out there for another four quarters, and I'm still not sure how many points they're going to score offensively. And for a guy whose calling card is his offensive acumen, uh, for him to have that kind of a performance on Saturday, and as you point out, just a very strange press conference the week of, uh, you know, playing the number one team in the country, that's something where you'd think you'd want to be pretty buttoned up on that and, and you know, make it aware of how serious you take everything and how aware of things you are. You know, he had no problem referencing the fact that when they coached against each other in 2016, uh, you know, Hugh Freeze came away with a win that day. But, you know, to, to sort of feign ignorance yeah. at everything else that has happened since then, it, it's just really strange to me. Uh, and, and, you know, the Georgia-Auburn rivalry, look, if Hugh Freeze is probably being honest, he doesn't love the fact that he has to play both Alabama and Georgia every year now going forward. Uh, and so maybe, you know, him saying, oh, you know, I'm not preaching hate. I don't want this to be, you know, sort of a rivalry or things like that. Maybe that's him trying to grease the wheels with the SEC and say, hey, like, can we go to an eight-game schedule and not have to play Georgia every season? Uh, but, you know, coming off a loss, and look, we know Auburn to be a notoriously fickle fan base. Uh, you know, if Saturday gets ugly, uh, you know, I, I get that they've got to give Hugh Free some time to turn things around there. But, man, uh, this is not how you want to be starting your tenure there at Auburn if you're Hugh Free. Give me some good injury news, Connor. I, I'm no doctor, uh, so that, that'll be a little tough. I think this is a really big week for Lad McConkie. Uh, you know, they shut him down for the last two weeks, intentionally so, in hopes of getting him back. And I, I wrote about this a little bit yesterday. I think that's a guy Georgia needs. Uh, McConkie is a guy who, on fields with elite athletes in big games, LSU last year, uh, Ohio State with his two-point conversion, the TCU game, on fields with elite athletes in big games, Vlad McConkie has proven to be a difference maker, and you need as many of those guys as you can have. And if he misses another game with this back injury, you really start to wonder how much are we going to see of McConkie this season. Uh, you know, uh, back injuries obviously can be tricky, and, and you know, I'm sure George is not considering surgery or anything like that at this point, but. Five straight games is a lot to miss. 
uh, w- with a back injury there. And it doesn't necessarily seem like George is any closer to figuring out uh, how can we get McConkey back out there fully ready to go. Uh, defensively, I think they are going to be in a better shape. I would expect Michael Williams to be back out there this weekend. I think Javon Bullard is, I would say, certainly closer or a better bet than uh, seeing Lad out there at this point. If you get those two guys back on defense, I think you feel a lot better about what you're going to see going forward from Georgia. Running back room, we'll see. I will say I, I've liked what I've seen out of the combination of, of Dylan Bell, uh, Dejan Edwards, and Cass Jones. I think those three guys complement each other very well. And so while, yes, you'd love to have Kendall Milton and Roger Robinson out there just from a depth and also maybe a physicality standpoint, you've seen enough talent there from that running back room to, to I think, feel better about what you had than you certainly did three weeks ago. Let me uh, just ask you this real quickly as a follow-up on McConkie. Sometimes when Kirby Smart says about so-and-so injured player, we're hopeful to get him back, I think we have the sense, rightly or wrongly, that internally Georgia has a timeline about so-and-so player. They're just not necessarily looking to reveal that. In the case of McConkie, the sense that I get, both in terms of my observation of the situation, also maybe people that I've talked to, is perhaps this is a little murkier behind the scenes. This is not one of those deals where they're saying one thing, but deep down they know they want to have him back by so-and-so game. I get the sense that there is a little bit of murkiness around this. Do you get the sense that that's true of they're perhaps a little less certain about when he will be healthy and they truly are hopeful to get him back, the, the, the old line from Kirby Smart? In this case, maybe it really is true. Yeah, to that point, uh, I believe it was the UT Martin game. They thought or it was UT Martin or Ball State, one of them, but they felt he was going to play. They practiced him during the week, and then Friday at the team hotel, his back just starts acting up, and they go and shut him down. And so it's one of those things where, you know, on a week-to-week basis, you know, you try and manage it the best you can. Again, clearly Georgia, you know, revealing yesterday they had shut him down for two weeks. I think anticipation of getting him ready for this game. Uh, so, you know, again, back injuries can be so fickle, and, and I think Georgia is at least acknowledging that there. Uh, it's starting to turn into a little bit of the A.D. Mitchell situation from a season ago where he ended up missing nine games with an ankle injury. Uh, I, you know, and now there are some behind-the-scenes stuff there that I think also contributed to Mitchell missing so much time. I don't believe that's the case with McConkie. I genuinely believe that he wants to be out there and wants to play. Uh, so we'll see. Mike McConkie has one career 100-yard receiving game. It came against Auburn in 2021, uh, and if you're able to get him back out there and add him to this offense, I think that's only going to further make things easier for some of the other playmakers out there. All right, very quick. I've kept you long, and I apologize. I want to squeeze in one more thing on a completely different subject. We're obviously very busy this week, huge weekend uh, for national teams this past weekend. Georgia got a rivalry game on Saturday, but the other news from Sunday that I don't think should get obscured because you know, frankly, it was a little bit of a punch in the gut, although not completely unexpected. Uh, Nykar's decommitment from Georgia, now going to visit Auburn. You know, Florida State's in the mix. NIL rumors left and right. You know, Connor, this is a pretty, um, it's a pretty big blow to a Georgia. I think. You know, the one kind of final frontier they're trying to conquer as that elite wide receiver recruitment. Then, lo and behold, one of the guys already in the mix sort of looked like he was blossoming into an elite receiver and now you know he's leaving the class there'd been chatter this might happen Carr himself had even kind of somewhat alluded to that in an article at dognation.com but nonetheless you know this is this is pretty disappointing here um what do you make of another pretty big time wide receiver here seemingly going to get away I don't believe that Georgia gets back involved in this one I don't think you know what do you make of you know kind of this situation here at the moment yeah, I mentioned Miami as a team to very much consider there as well with Nikar. Look, 
wide receiver has been a position that Georgia, I don't think, has fully cracked yet. And, you know, I think Brian McClendon is a good coach. I think you've seen some nice things with the way this position has developed uh, with him there. But, you know, I, I even think at this point it's beyond just blaming a specific position coach or an offensive coordinator. I, I just think it's a program-wide thing. And, and look, Georgia fans can say, oh, well, yeah, receivers aren't going to come here because you're not going to feature uh, feature them, you know, your leading pass catchers and tight end. Brock Bowers is one of the best players in the country. Yeah. And so, you know, for the idea that this season that they should throw to the receivers more and less to block Brock Bowers, I, I, you lose me right there if that's a talking point you have. Georgia does have options, and one thing I will note, well, yeah, you want to recruit well at the receiver position, and Georgia still, I think, has to crack that and figure it out. You know, having Dylan Raiola, having Ryan Puglisi hasn't exactly brought in those wide receivers like I think a lot of people thought. Well, that yes, the transfer portal is still in its infancy, and Kirby Smart will caution against the idea that you're always going to be able to find what you're looking for in there. We've seen enough uh, of this happening where wide receivers are going to be, you know, players that are more prone to entering the transfer portal and looking elsewhere. Georgia's already, I think, reaped some of the benefits of that and bring in Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas from the transfer portal. You look around the country, uh, A.D. Mitchell going to Texas, and obviously that hurt Georgia there. Uh, but uh, Florida State, their best wide receiver and maybe even their best player uh, to this point, Keon Coleman coming from Michigan State. You can find quality players from the transfer portal at the wide receiver position. Georgia has to be willing to commit to that and playing that game and getting those players. Uh, you know, LSU with Malik Neighbors is certainly one to know as well there. So uh, I do think that going forward, you know, that is something to watch and monitor. But uh, I think what, what Georgia is doing at the wide receiver recruiting position, look, it's probably a loss of 2024, and it's not a great thing there for this group. They're going to have to hit the portal hard once again next season. But there are options. But this is clearly, I think, bigger than just a wide receiver coach or just a one-off 2024 cycle. This is a program-wide thing at this point that Kirby Smart, I think, is really going to have to take time to try and figure out how does Georgia go about rectifying this issue. Connor, good stuff. We'll look forward to reading plenty more from you there at dognation.com. And, of course, speak to you right back here at the same time next week on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Yep, and before I go, I know I've been long already, but uh, I want to give a shout-out to my one of my best friends, Nathan Puckett. He's getting married this weekend. He's a longtime Dog Nation supporter. Went oh. to the Dog Nation invasion in New Orleans back in 2018. Uh, you know, yes, he's getting married on a fall uh, fall Saturday. He had planned this wedding before. It was known as the Auburn game, but super excited to be here for them that week this weekend and super excited to get to celebrate them this Saturday. Thanks, well, Nathan, Brandon. Yeah, Nathan, congratulations to you and enjoy the uh, weekend there, Connor. We appreciate that. And to everybody enjoying big things here this fall, hope you uh, have a, a great time with all of that. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, truly, congratulations to Nathan there. That's an awesome uh, piece of news. Uh, hope he enjoys the uh, wedding festivities here this weekend. And uh, let me just say this real quickly about the the Georgia-Auburn rivalry. We're going to talk more in a moment. Javon Javon Dumas-Johnson, the Georgia linebacker, said something yesterday that kind of raised some eyebrows a little bit. I think we're going to try to offer a little bit of an explanation for what JDJ, perhaps, why he said what he said about Georgia's hierarchy among rivalries. We're going to dive into this here coming up in a moment. We'll, uh, We'll do a little bit of an investigation on all of that. But admittedly, I'm the kind of person that really likes rivals. I like rivalry games. I like that about college football. And it's a weird thing with Georgia being as good as it's been. A lot of these rivalry games don't seem to matter as much as they used to. Uh, Connor kind of pointed that out. And some of that's just basic strategy. Uh, Basic to use, I mentioned Will Ferrell earlier, basic strategy, right? It's like there are a lot of teams, they just want the Georgia game over with. 
They want to get past it. They want to try to stay as healthy as they can. They want to move on to a game they feel like they have a better chance of winning. And you can judge this yourself. Watch how many teams go for it on fourth down against Georgia over the course of a season. How many how many punts you see from inside Georgia territory. Teams that know they can't win play carefully because they don't want to get embarrassed. And there are a lot of teams that against Georgia, they're just trying to avoid being embarrassed. See if Auburn does that on Saturday itself. Just when it has a chance to be a little bit more aggressive and roll the dice, just kind of choosing not to do that as a hope of just kind of getting the game over with and moving on to a game maybe have a better chance to win but as someone who like grew up in rivalries and when I was growing up as a kid Georgia was not really a national championship level program the rivalry games is kind of all we really had and so there's a part of me that kind of misses some of the vibe around some of these rivalry games the Georgia Auburn game is a part of that you know the the changing of the date I think has impacted that but see if this doesn't happen now I hope it doesn't happen kind of I mean uh, not not even kind of I, I hope what I'm about to say doesn't happen but see if th- that if it does happen if this doesn't kind of make this game feel more like a rivalry again like what did Kirby Smart say in the short clip we played for you a little bit earlier the thing that makes this a rivalry for a lot of people is the fact that hey you know Auburn recruited Georgia players and Georgia recruited Auburn players but in the last few years how infrequently does that happen it seems like that happens a lot less frequently than it used to I mean when Gus Malzahn was done at Auburn by the time he was done, you could have drawn a circle no bigger than a quarter, and that was basically the the geographic footprint that Auburn was recruiting in. You know, they'd stopped recruiting Georgia, they'd stopped recruiting a lot of Alabama. They were kind of recruiting that area around the Auburn, you know, program. They had a very small geographic area which they're bringing players in by the end of the Gus Malzahn era, and obviously Brian Harson didn't recruit at all. So doesn't it kind of seem like it's been a long time, like Derek Brown 2016, something like that? Doesn't it seem like it's been kind of a long time since we've had you know, like really big Georgia-Auburn recruiting battles. And I know I'm forgetting some. Owen Popoe is an example of that. You know, there have been, you know, you know, a handful of these over the course of time. But y'all, I mean, most of us grew up at a time, at least people who are close to my age, most of us grew up at a time in which the Georgia-Auburn recruiting battles were the battles. They really haven't been going on as much. Well, now Auburn supposedly has a big NIL war chest. They're looking to spend some of that money. The sense that we get is they're going to spend some of that money here in the state of Georgia and so let's see if that doesn't spice up the Georgia-Auburn rivalry again. Now, as I said before, I don't want that to happen. I don't want Auburn to win recruiting battles. But could be that in future years we see the Georgia-Auburn rivalry, assuming it's still played every year, uh, it could be that we see that rivalry kind of mattering, mattering a little bit more if Auburn develops a little bit more of an inroad into the state of Georgia with recruiting, something it hasn't quite had in some time. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Of course, Auburn folks, uh, they're invited to go on Royal Caribbean cruises too, I guess. Uh, but we're more focused on the Georgia fans enjoying themselves on our Dog Nation cruise. April of 2024, on board Allure of the Seas, RoyalDogs.com, the website our good friend Jessica Slater has put together that tells you all about the Oasis class ship we're going to be on, Allure of the Seas, the ports of call we're visiting, Nassau in the Bahamas, Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that wonderful private island in the Bahamas exclusively for those on Royal Caribbean cruise vacations and all the specially themed Dog Nation events there as well. So please check out the website. It is RoyalDogs.com, RoyalDogs.com. You can find out more about that April of 2024. We can't wait to see you there. All right, let's talk about the uh, Associated Press poll here for a moment because one of the things that you see is the Georgia schedule is slightly getting more interesting now on the basis of who is ranked uh, of future Georgia opponents here at the moment. Uh, Ole Miss stays in the poll. Should they still be ranked? I'm not quite so sure, and they probably won't be after the Saturday if they lose to LSU. But for now, they're still 20th. That's a Georgia opponent. 
Tennessee is still ranked 21st. Not quite so sure they should be ranked either, but nonetheless, they are in there. That's a future Georgia opponent. Florida is in the AP poll now uh, at a 3-1 and record. They're ranked 22nd. How about Missouri at 4-0? Now, they probably should have been ranked last week. So, you know, sometimes, you know, some of these SEC teams may get a little bit of an extra nod, the likes of, uh, of, of an Ole Miss maybe here right now. But Missouri probably should have been ranked a week ago for beating Kansas State. Now they are in after being 4-0. and And undefeated Kentucky is not ranked, but they are second amongst teams receiving votes here right now. So, you know, for a Georgia schedule that on paper to begin the season did not look very impressive, and admittedly so, I would say, well, all of a sudden now there's a little bit more juice to it, right? I mean, four ranked opponents, that's not nothing, assuming that these teams or at least a combination equal to four can stay in the rankings. And I'm actually excited for this next phase of the Georgia schedule. You know, 99% of college football fans, most of the, the overwhelming majority of the sport, all they do is just hope their team wins. There's very little in the way of, we won, but was it dominant? You know, most college ball teams don't really think that way. College ball fan base don't really think that way. So I think now, you know, Georgia fans have a chance to relax during this next portion of the schedule. It's not beauty contest judging Georgia and UT Martin of yeah well Georgia didn't score 90 points so does that mean Georgia's ready for who and whatever they're gonna have to play next you don't have to do that anymore now you're on the road at Auburn in a roundabout way just winning sort of enough if you can run through Missouri and Kentucky and Ole Miss and Tennessee Florida these games that you have over the course of the next few weeks after that if you're if you're winning those games you're kind of doing your job and you're setting yourself up for where you need to be next. And come December and January, obviously you have to be playing way better than you have been playing, but you've also got a couple of months to get you ready for that. And the games that you do play do in some ways get you ready for it. We knew to begin the year that September was going to kind of be, I mean, I even said that on Saturday. It's like, I'm just ready for what's next. Not because I'm not thankful that Georgia's been great or I'm you know too hard to please. Honestly, I really don't feel like I am that hard to please. I'm generally a pretty happy person. But I think what we're about to see from Georgia is going to be far more entertaining, seeing how they handle this road environment on Saturday, seeing if they can start racking up wins weeks after weeks after weeks against SEC competition. I think that's pretty fun, and I'm ready to kind of see it. I think that should be a a really good thing. Now, on a Tuesday, oftentimes we also have some sort of leftover residue that we did not get to discuss from the previous weeks. I want to at least mention a couple of these here real quick, and then I want to get back exclusively to Georgia here in a moment starting from the SEC was a little bit surprised that we kind of seemingly saw LSU sort of um, take a little bit of a turn back to less than elite status you know I thought LSU was pretty impressive in how they handled Mississippi State on the road uh, two Saturdays ago this past weekend though closer than I expected to be against Arkansas you'll give Sam Pittman and his charges some credit for really going on the road and giving themselves a chance to win that you know kind of last second field goal uh, gave LSU the win there so Arkansas played a pretty good football game so those of us who like Sam Pittman are certainly happy to see that they actually scored more points than I thought Arkansas was probably you know capable of scoring here right now but for LSU you know they do survive they do win but kind of leaves them you know kind of in that sort of hard to figure out category here right now moving off the loss from Florida State into SEC play the Magnolia Bowl on Saturday is going to be fascinating 
That's the LSU Ole Miss game. We're going to probably end up talking a pretty good bit about that. That's a uh, that's a good time there. Y'all know that I'm not impressed by Lane Kiffin and not very impressed by Ole Miss overall, but they can change some of that. If you can beat Brian Kelly and LSU, you can change some of that. You know, I, I think that in the case of uh, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback who had been so impressive in the win against Mississippi State, he also seemed to kind of regress a little bit a bit uh, against Arkansas. So we'll see if that ongoing story adds, adds another extra chapter to it. But uh, LSU did win, not an overwhelmingly impressive win, setting itself up for a game against Ole Miss on Saturday that should be pretty interesting. And also, you know, we've talked about the Ryan Day part of the Notre Dame and Ohio State game, the shouting and the yelling at 86-year-old Lou Holtz and how embarrassing that was. But honestly, all of the histrionics from Day, that does distract us from a little bit about the fact that Notre Dame had 10 players on the field on defense for the final two plays of the game. That's bad. That's really, really bad. And the explanation that Freeman's tried to offer, and admittedly there really isn't a good explanation for this. There is, I think, a natural tendency to want to be a little bit face-saving during all of this. But his explanation's not much better. And I don't quite know what you do about that. Now, one huge blunder like that doesn't damn you forever as a coach. I, I certainly acknowledge that. But you got to be careful. you got to be really, really careful because – at the very least, you got to have 11 players in the field. You just do. And it still makes it just so dumb that Ohio State's like, hey, look how tough we are. We barely punched over the goal line. I'm talking about like just like the smallest little bit. <laughs> the other team only had 10 players. I think Notre Dame also had a timeout, too. They didn't call a timeout. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty sizable blunder there, uh, a pretty big mess up. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, before we get back to uh, Georgia here, let me also remind you, if you're coming into the Atlanta area, your travels require you to be in downtown or Buckhead, Midtown, somewhere like that, but maybe you don't want to stay in the hustle of and bustle of uh, the downtown Atlanta scene, a great place to stay is like right here where you broadcast from each and every day, right here in the uh, Dunwoody area. I want to give you a website to go to to find out more about this. It's discoveredunwoody.com slash dognation. That's discoveredunwoody.com slash dognation. And you can find out about why this Dunwoody area of kind of this you know wonderful Atlanta suburb is such a wonderful place to be because you're talking about you know a couple thousand different hotel rooms to choose from, which means you get great, really great prices. You got a couple of hundred restaurants, everything from like fine dining to fast casual and everything else in between. You have hundreds of shopping opportunities there as well beautiful mall and all kinds of great shopping experience all around here and it's not quite as crowded it's very safe it's just a wonderful place to be right here in the Dunwoody area and if you need to get into downtown or Buckhead somewhere like that we're also nestled in between a couple of different MARTA stations there too so super convenient access to airport or downtown or midtown or Buckhead wherever else so go to the website it's discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation that's discoverdunwoody.com slash dog nation heard from a great group of dog nation folks of the day hey B.A. we heard you talking about Dunwoody we came to stay and so uh folks are having a good time they're enjoying all of that and so you can there as well all right now here on dog nation daily presented by ESOG let's turn our attention back to Georgia just for a moment and perhaps a little bit of an eye-opening statement yesterday from Georgia linebacker Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Now, JDJ had a really wide-ranging press conference evaluating his own plays thus far this season, the play of the Georgia defense. That's worth hearing, and that's more serious and football-minded. This is a little bit less serious on all of that. But he was asked yesterday about the sheer number of the Georgia rivals and how he chooses to rank them. And something that popped, Jamon Dumas-Johnson said, 
got some attention. Now, we think we have some extra context here on this, but nonetheless, here is Jamon Dumas-Johnson with a little bit of a statement on Georgia's rivals that got and drew some curiosity from Georgia fans. Here is the one they call Pop. So many great rivalries with this program. I see a Tech in Florida, um, Tennessee. Well, I'm curious where you put the uh, Auburn rivalry. I put Auburn probably at... I don't know. This is my second year here. I mean, third year here. So I know for sure Coach B. Matt found put Georgia Tech first. So Georgia Tech definitely first. Um, I think Auburn, Auburn probably second. Yeah, Georgia Tech had to be first. All right, a couple things here. Now, obviously, Jamon Dumas Johnson's a beloved member of this Georgia defense, a very important leader from the linebacking corps. But even Jamon Dumas Johnson should understand the one thing you don't want to do is get on Eddie's bad side here. Uh, Eddie may be blind, but even he can see that a good Georgia fan is a Gator hater first and foremost. So Jamon Dumas Johnson, be very careful uh, that you don't uh, draw the ire of Eddie the Blind Squirrel there on that. That's just one quick aside for you on that. But the other thing that kind of opened some eyes, uh, sorry, Eddie, but opened some eyes um, about uh, uh, you know what, what Jamon Dumas Johnson says there is the idea that Kirby Smart would want to make sure that he said Georgia Tech first, the, the the assumption being made that, therefore, that Kirby Smart must believe that Georgia Tech is the biggest rival that Georgia has. Now, Kirby's always very careful to kind of not rank any rival over the rest of them, but in terms of why JDJ would think that Kirby thinks that Tech is the biggest rivalry, I think we have a little bit of an explanation for this. The honest truth is Georgia Tech is not Georgia's biggest rival. It's just not. Now, 60 years ago, was it? Probably. Is it the biggest rivalry now? It's not. I, I believe wholeheartedly that you want to set your rivalry bar as high as you possibly can. That if your biggest rival is Georgia Tech, then your aspirations are sometimes no better than just being better than Georgia Tech. Well, Tech's 2-2 two and two right now. You clearly want to be far better than that, so you want to try to set your rivalry bar as high as you possibly can historically that's kind of why we've kind of pushed for the florida rivalry to be the to be the big one now florida used to be good a lot of folks not old enough to remember that but at one point in time many many years ago florida is actually really a good team and so therefore setting that as the high bar for your rivalry just meant that georgia could aspire to to a level of greatness that kind of made sense and so that's kind of where that comes from from us but nonetheless Georgia Tech is not Georgia's biggest rival, nor do I believe that Kirby Smart actually thinks that it is. So why did JDJ say what he said? You know how Kirby Smart does here, right? It's like every week Georgia's trying to find its different level of motivation, its new level of motivation. And I think that Jamon Dumas Johnson being from Maryland, I think going into the Tech game last year, I think he had it pounded into him about, oh, this is a rival, this is a rival, this is a rival, because the honest truth is, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, way up there in the uh, you know kind of the Beltway, mid-Atlantic area, he'd probably never even heard of Georgia Tech, at least for the most part. So I think he had to have it like pounded into his head of, hey, this game matters, this game matters, because Georgia's kind of always trying to find that level of motivation for every game that it plays. In fact, we went back and found this. Jamon Dumas-Johnson talking about Tech last year. Why does JDJ think Kirby Smart thinks that Tech is Georgia's biggest rival? Because last year's way of getting uh, Georgia players fired up to play Georgia Tech at the end of the season, something they had not done at that point in time in a couple of years, I think they probably exaggerated the nature of the Tech game. In fact, here is some evidence of Jamon Dumas-Johnson seemingly reflecting that from last November. I knew in the 90s it was kind of back and forth, but um, lately you know, all Georgia winning the rivalry so far. Um, that's all I know pretty much about the rivalry. 
Um, I just know uh, when Coach Mark first came here, we lost. And kind of during his era, he most likely lost to him. So that's to me sounds like a player that's gotten a heavy dose of the history of the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry. I mean, he's talking about that thing like it's the Packers and the Bears, right? Like, oh my gosh, this thing going back to the '90s was whatever. And admittedly, Kirby Smart did lose some games, you know, there in that series, and so I'm sure he used that to try to fire up the players, you know, for last year. In the case of Jamon Dumas Johnson, it seemed to have worked. But I would advise any Georgia Tech folks who may have struggled into the program today, don't get too excited. I can promise you, no one around Athens right now thinks you're the Georgia's biggest rival. Uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson perhaps thinks that because of some motivational ploys that were used a year ago. Uh, but the overall hierarchy is still. We would say Florida number one, Auburn a very deserving number two after that, but there'll be no shortage of rivalry energy for Georgia on Saturday. Hugh Freeze may not know how to talk about this game, but here in Dog Nation, we definitely do. For the Deep South's oldest, Georgia will be more than ready. Because that's what great coaches do. They get their teams ready to play games like this, and we have more evidence of just how great a coach Kirby Smart is. Joel Sidney Kelly gets our golden shoe for today. Joel's a very talented graphic artist, and he put together a wonderful graphic here. So these are the most successful head coaches through their first 100 games, according to Joel, who shared this. this is amazing. So George Woodruff, is that Penn? Is that where he coached? Or is that, that's Penn, right? Penn, not Princeton. That's Penn, right? 94 and 6 from 1892 through 1900. Frank Leahy at Notre Dame, 95 and 5 from 39 through 49. Barry Switzer at Oklahoma. Uh, that's someone that most of us have some recollection of, at least if you're close to my age. 86, 11 and 3. Newt Rockney, 85, 10 and 5. And then Kirby Smart, 85 and 15. How about that? Kirby Smart mentioned along the lines of a Newt Rockney and a Barry Switzer. What an amazing start to his career. Wonderful golden shoe by Joel Sidney Kelly, which both educates and entertains us. That's great to see. Very, very good stuff there. Speaking of Georgia rivals, about the lousy, stinking Gators. 32 days from right now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG.